0: Welcome into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back with you for another week, another episode. It's been it's been a, a decent week in DC sports. We've had some bad ones. We've had some better ones. It's just it was just a regular a regular week. We won some games, we lost some games. Um starting off, I want to start with the Nationals. They uh won today to get their first series win of the season. Are now 3 and 6 on the season. We started off and I think when we talked last week, they had just uh, lost their doubleheader uh, to the Atlanta Braves. And from that doubleheader loss, they did not get a win until they got to uh, St. Louis They got swept by the Dodgers, which makes sense when you don't have your, um, your hitters back, but it made sense. Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, Josh Harrison, get back into the lineup. It makes you deeper. It extends everything for you. And you start winning again. Um, they beat the Cardinals 5-2 first game. They beat, uh, lost the Cardinals 14-3 yesterday, but it was just a fluky start from Steven Strasburg. He's not giving up eight runs ever. It happens once a season. And then they won 6-0 today. So things are starting to look up for the Nationals. Uh, Joe Ross, amazing. Back-to-back starts has not let up a run. 11 innings, zero runs, six hits. Like, You can't can't ask better from your number four starter. That year off definitely is looking like a period off. Eric Fetty um, pitched very well in the first game against uh, the Cardinals after a horrendous start. I'm still not sold on Fetty. I've seen enough of the bad where there's no good to be like, oh, okay. Well, maybe Fetty's turning the corner. He's still going to be the guy that he is. He's going to have really bad games. He's going to have decent games. But he's never going to get you to a point where he's consistently good. Joe Ross, when he started, I, I didn't think he could be a guy that can be consistently good. But in 2019, he opted out of 2020. To end 2019 and to start 2021, we've seen a consistent kind of form for him where he's able to go ahead and produce at a high level. And it's not always going to be zero runs, obviously, baseball. He's going he's gonna to get hit. But even in games that he gets hit, can he stretch out five, six innings when he doesn't have his ace stuff? And that's the next step um, that we need for Joe Ross. Um, the hitting has been has been pretty good. Soto, obviously, still uh, one of the best hitters in baseball. I think he's number four right now. Obviously, it's early in the season, but that's crazy. Um, Trey finally got back on track after a rough weekend or a rough couple of days there. Um, back on track today. Victor Robles, who we praised in last week's episode, uh, it seems like teams are starting to figure out that he can't hit uh, the outside of the plate and they're just smashing the baseball there and he's not able to reach or see it well getting called for strikes a lot. So they bumped him back down to the ninth spot. Hopefully he still gets a leadoff opportunity because his speed is valued if he does get on base. But if he's not getting on base, it doesn't really help um, move um, the offensive long. With Zim, Zim um, had an amazing game today, a two-run homer. Uh, he's going to be in the perfect spot where he's not going to play every day. Josh Bell is still the starting first baseman, but days that he does get played, he's going to be able to produce for you just because that's the type of guy that, uh, that he is for you, and then Harrison and Schwarber. I start with Harrison. I mean, he's hit, he's batting like 500 right now. Like he's he's on a heater, and it, it, it's great to see. He's not going to stay at that level, but for him to be your six or seven hitter, and now being able to produce like that, this is this is why we thought the you know, Nationals could be in a place where they are going deep into the playoffs or making the playoffs because if their pitching is amazing like it was today their hitters are going to be able to get them five, six runs. Even if they they didn't need five, six six runs today, they needed one. And they were able to stretch out enough to get um, to six runs. So, yeah, it, it was a tough start. Losing against the Dodgers was definitely rough. But with your lineup now, I think that starting from the St. Louis game, this is when I really started the season. And obviously those losses do count against your record. But right now we're two and one in my book. And you, you can't you can't ask for anything better. You're gonna get an Arizona Diamondback team that's four and eight. Um, they don't have any they didn't have any COVID situations or any problems. You should beat up on them, win two, either split or win three games, or if you want to go ahead and sweep them all four. But you have this same Cardinals team again, so you're able to quickly get back in the mix of things and not fall way behind from a pretty competitive NL East division. It should be it should be fun to see this team play because these last couple of games have been exciting now that we have um, everybody back in the lineup and we're not seeing Jordy Mercer or mm-hmm. Hernan Perez or guys that obviously weren't uh, starting baseball players, uh, starting for you um, during that first week. So a pretty fun second week once everybody um, got back, just quick, uh, quickly on the nuts. Moving on, I want to get to the Wizards, uh, Micah. So it's been it's been an up and down season for since the first first game of the year. Um we lost the Philadelphia 76ers but we were like wow, this team this team may have something here. They're they're pretty interesting. They've been able to they were able to keep a close with the Philly team that everybody thinks is going to be number 1 in the conference at that time and yeah, Philadelphia is number 1 in the Eastern Conference. But at the same time, this team's also lost terrible games. So after going on a four-game losing streak to Charlotte, Detroit, Dallas, Toronto, the Wizards then go win three out of the next four against Orlando, Golden State. Um, they lost Phoenix on the back to back, but then beat Utah, the best team in the West. They have the Kings, the Pelicans, and the Pistons up forward. We've already established where we stand on this Wizards team and how we how we're like we're done with this season. The season doesn't mean much to us. Whatever they do is it's always a positive to see your young guys grow, and I hopefully we see that, but. For Russ, for Beal, like, get Beal the scoring title. Let Russ get his triple-doubles record. Besides that, I, I I don't care about anything that this team is doing because <laughs> it's fraudulent. Unfortunately, like we said, we even though we kept losing, the teams above, above us in the playoffs are still not being able – not able to get they that suck. distance. They, they suck. Are, they just aren't able to get that distance. And now we are um, – what is it, two games – yeah, two games from that yeah. 10 seed in the play-in. So, I can't believe we actually have to have this conversation. <laughs> but, Micah, do you think that with our strength of schedule that we're actually realistically going to, like, sneak into that 10 seed, get ourselves out of a a legit lottery spot, and then just be in that same spot where we're drafting 10 again in the draft?
1: Yeah, that looks like not even, you know, not only the most realistic thing, but – um. at this point, it might end up being, like, what, like, I don't want to say best-case scenario, but I I just don't foresee a a future where this team tanks it out and loses. I I think the best thing you can get out of this season is, unfortunately, making the play-in and ruining our draft stock and things like that, you know, being in that no-man's land that we really don't want to be in. Um, But, I mean, shoot, on the court, they're in no-man's land. Out of most games, I mean, there's no reason why you should be losing to terrible teams like Detroit, and then a, a week later or so, a week or some change later, you're going to beat the best team in the West <laughs> after they had, like, a, what, a 22-game win streak at home? Basically, yeah, it only 24, lost two 24 games. games. 24 they lost 24, the first two
0: games of the season. And, and haven't lost home. again at
1: home. Yep. And they haven't lost again at home. So, I mean, we're definitely going to end up being in that zone. I think it's time for us as Wizards fans to be conditioned to the fact that with the kind of makeup of this team, we're still kind of stuck in this no man's land. Um, there's no really path for them to be uh, a playoff team unless like they get it together and that's uh, you know a real playoff team going into the future. Um, so we're kind of going to be stuck in this no man's land um, if we ever do. If we somehow win, you know, in the in the playing, I mean that's cool, whatever. But um, like you mentioned, man, I don't want to see much out of this team and I know I know they're not really gonna give me much um you know going forward. I wanna see the young guys improve. I wanna see Denny contributions. Daniel Gafford is becoming one of my favorite players already just for what he's been doing um energy wise and just being a, a player that looks like he actually wants to play out there. I really do appreciate that from him. Um but it's the same old thing and we keep repeating it over and over the Russ and Beal thing. It's an interesting dynamic. Um it's really interesting to watch, and I'll just say this: it's really interesting to watch which players Russ plays really well with. Um, it's looking like Daniel Gafford is going to become like the second oh, yeah. Russ guy besides Rui, I'm like, yeah. and that's okay, that's fine. But um, I still don't necessarily want Russell Westbrook being on the court with our good guys. I don't want Russell Westbrook around too much longer. But uh, you know, man, we're here. Russ is uh, he's probably our our. Our most vocal guy, and it's it's showing. And I guess if Russ is your most vocal guy, this is what happens: turbulence, because he's a turbulent kind of guy. So um, here we are, living through turbulence. Um, shout out Daniel Gaffer, like I said. Um, you know, I just like to see our guys do our thing, and uh, I think we'll be in that plan, and we'll probably get creamed. But you know what? It is what it is.
0: <sighs> I, yeah, no. this, it's depressing, this team, bro. It, this team has taken me on such a roller coaster. I was so high after the first west coast world road trip you beat yep. houston denver portland los angeles yeah you lose the clippers but you get them back like a week later at home um you sweep denver like everything is looking great then you come back and after that trip you lose to memphis philadelphia milwaukee sacramento brooklyn new york twice Jeez. uh and it's just back and forth and back and forth now I want to start I want to start from the top with Russell Westbrook fans. The amount of propaganda that I've seen online about how good a Russell Westbrook has been and how terrible his teammates around him are bad. is ridiculous. Russell Westbrook has cost us as many games as he's won us. He's been terrible in that many games where it's just like, if Russ plays an okay game, we win this game. But there's also games where Russ is amazing. And it just seems like, obviously, it's Twitter, so there's never any nuance, but that needs to be the nuanced take. Russ is good. When he's good, he's good, and he helps the team. But when he's bad, he doesn't change his game. He still will take the mid jump jumpers if they aren't falling. He'll turn the ball over seven or eight times, but he's still going to have that high usage rate, even if everything's not clicking for him. But when he's good, it's amazing. You do end up beating the Utah Jazz. Now, is Russ, now that he's fully healthy, going to be able to continue that for – a stretch of Sacramento, New Orleans, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Golden State, Oklahoma City, Cleveland? Sure. Like, your next couple of games, every single game that you play from here on out until Milwaukee May 5th is winnable. Now, are they going to win those games up until uh, May 5th <laughs> against the Bucks? Of course not. But could they go ahead and find themselves in a situation where they're fighting for – I mean, they're technically fighting for it now – uh, two games out you win today and um and uh Chicago loses you're one and a half games out like so it it's not it's not impossible i, I like I said I don't want to make it in the play there's nothing they gain from it i I don't care with the football team I wanted them to make the playoffs yeah you can gain valuable experience but this team isn't gaining anything from playing in a 710 matchup and then if they get into the first round um as an eight seed, and you're playing the Brooklyn Nets, so like, okay, we get swept in What's four games. Point, more, what did we gain from that? Except for now we have, like, 14, 15, from 15, 16 pick in the draft. Like, that, that's not doing anything. And they've been saying all year this is a five-person draft. And we have put ourselves now in a situation where we are not going to be picking in the first five, and we're going to have to find, uh, try to find another gem or try to find best player available and, and it's frustrating because teams have overlapped us and yeah everybody says don't tank obviously but the teams that have overlapped us at this point they all tanked like right yeah maybe they they weren't trying to do it on purpose but they did and look where they are now let's look at the eastern conference the 70s exactly years. most famously tanked Tank. trust the talk my trust the process man the Brooklyn Nets—they didn't tank. They were able to retool and D'Angelo Russell and everything, and trade for him and got KD. That worked out for them. The Bucks—they got lucky with Giannis, but they weren't a good team when they picked Giannis. The Hawks—they sucked after um, they had that sixty-one team with Paul Millsap and all of them. They were able to get Trey Young. They were able to get John Collins. They were able to get DeAndre Hunter. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Wright. Like, they're the four seed now. The Boston Celtics. Yeah, they didn't necessarily tank, but they fleece the Brooklyn Nets into all those picks and were able to get Jason Tatum's and Jalen Browns. Are the Wizards going to trade with somebody for Bradley Beal and fleece him? Who knows? The Miami Heat, the culture, obviously. The Charlotte Hornets, they've sucked for so long, but they signed Terry Rozier, drafted LaMelo Ball, got Gordon Hayward. The Knicks, they tanked. They got RJ. B- like So all the teams that are ahead of us, essentially, in some way or another, they were bad and got a great player. We've been in a place where we've been either a four or five seed and lower the past couple of years and haven't been bad enough to be in a position to draft good. Now let's say next year, the Cleveland Cavaliers are below us. Let's say they get a top five pick and now they have Colin Sexton. They have Darius Garland and they have another top five pick. Don't you think they're going to jump They're going to end up jumping us. And that's just another team that's ahead of us. So it, it just gets to a point where it's like, okay, we had to figure out what path we wanna go down. If we wanna be the retool team, okay, I'm all for it. Let's really retool. Okay, so we wanna run with Russ and Brad. Okay, so what does Russ need? Russ needs shooters. Brad needs people to also uh, also help space the floor with them when he wants to go ISO. Okay, so we have Bertons here. So we have Bertons and we have uh, Rui. Do we want a, a center that's gonna clog up the lane or a center that's gonna pull, uh, help pull defenders out? Okay, what do we wanna do with the bench? It seems like right now we're all discombobulated. Like. If Russ is really the guy, and this is the path you want to go forward, then he needs to come off the bench, like Manu Ginobili came off the bench for the Spurs. Right. Run that second unit, be that guy for the second unit. But we just haven't seen any direction from this team, and maybe a different coach changes that. Like um, Quentin Mayo put out a, a tweet earlier in the week. I so saw at least since the last time that we talked, and it was like, what opinion would, would get you? Um, would get you like basically like hated by uh, Wizards? which fans And my opinion is that I actually don't think this team is that bad with the right coach. We can be an Atlanta Hawks in this year. And I I do think that's possible, but if you are going to get the right coach and you know that this is exactly the direction we want to go, then sure, a hundred percent go for it. But this half tank half try to retool at the same time, it's not going to work and it doesn't help anybody at all. And honestly, I'm just, I'm truly just tired of it. Yeah, it doesn't, are we, you know,
1: we've been big proponents about, you know, all of our teams not being in that gray area, either, you know, picking a side are you going to be a really good team or really bad. And like you said, man, unfortunately the Wizards have tried to be both this year or well, not try. They have been both this year and you see what happens, even going into this last stretch of the season, you've been bad enough to, you know, be terrible and not be actually ranked in the top eight in the East, but you haven't been bad enough to, you know, tank it out. I mean, Like, and it's just, you can go game by game, literally for the entire season. Um, Well, not the entire season. Once the new year started, you can be like, okay, what is this team? And this team is just mid-level. And if you're a Wizards fan, we've been mid-level since forever. But
0: it's not not a mid-level team. Like, mid-level was John Wall and Bradley Beal when they weren't potentially going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, when mm -hmm. they were just a four or five seed. That is truly mid-level. Like, trying to fight for a playing spot at ten. Is not is not a good team. Like it's just not. It just can't be a good team. Like I don't care if they make it in from the play-in, but to fight to be fighting for nine or ten in a regular year, that's just not a good team. So it's like, yeah, we say that okay, they're a middle of the pack team. If they were a middle of the pack team in the Eastern Conference, they would be where the Charlotte Hornets or the New York Knicks are, hovering around five hundred. They're both one game above five hundred. And they've had impressive victories throughout the season. Yeah, the Wizards have the impressive victories, but they also have the terrible losses. And you just you just can't balance it that way, where you have your terrible losses outweigh so much your good wins. In the Western Conference, against the top four seeds, they're 8-2. and two. But then against the Chicago Bulls, against the New York Knicks, against the Charlotte Hornets, they've won, like, one game combined. So it's like you're not a middling team, but you're also not, like, a terrible team like Detroit. It's just frustrating. Yeah, just it really is.
1: It really is, man. Look at the last 10, five and
0: five is where we are. it, sucks, <laughs> but... <laughs> it, it it's, it's, exactly, it's exactly where, where they're always going to be, just a five and five team. So hopefully a new coach comes in and I'm just tired of seeing all the Russell Westbrook propaganda. Oh, I wanted to touch on something quickly. B.O. needs to sit. Like they talked about his hip thing and how it's mm-hmm. a nerve issue and like I know he wants the scoring championship and needs nine more game eight more games to get uh officially qualified for that. Let him play his eight more games sparingly here right there against bad teams. But for the majority of the time he needs to sit because there's nothing else that like is more important than his health if he's gonna be a serious a serious player for our team going forward. Like I don't want our star player to be hurt. And if he's not gonna be our star player, I want him to be completely healthy when we're trading him. So that that that's it an interesting thing that we've seen over the past couple of weeks where he's been on the mid minutes restrictions. He's missed, like he hasn't played in back to backs. It's like, it's kind of getting weird where it's like, okay, let's just put him on the shelf to end out the season. Um, Moving on to moving on to the watching the football team. We talked about it last week that Mike and I would uh, go through a mock and basically do a PFF mock simulator and see what came up and what decisions we would make for um, our Washington football team in a full seven-round mock. So I want to start this by saying that we did do some things beforehand to make sure that nothing crazy happened, because PFF does have some randomness. So we sent Mac Jones to the 49ers, because that's um, that's what has essentially been said by Adam Schefter and all these guys saying that Mac Jones is going three, Zach Wilson two, Trevor Lawrence one. Uh, we also didn't allow the Panthers to select the QB because they still have QB as their number one need. But with getting Sam Darnold, that's obviously a done deal, really, with QB, unless they want to. They already picked up his fifth year option. And so to pick up a fifth year option, get a rookie quarterback, and then also have Teddy Bridgewater doesn't make much sense. So besides that, everything else was free flowing and it was the randomness of the draft. So, Micah, you want to kick us off with uh, who was your first round pick?
1: Yes. So my first round pick, Um, mind you, of course, in this scenario, we don't trade up. We don't do anything fancy or crazy. We just stick to the script. So my first pick is going to be uh, Zaven Collins, man. We talked about him this whole process since we started the pot up again, and we've really emphasized the fact that we need a linebacker, um, whether he can be off ball, whether he can be, you know, blitzing run gaps. That was like one of the worst positions on defense, so probably the, the biggest of need, besides a, a safety or free safety, of course. But Zayvon Collins fills in an immediate need. You can go back and listen to it, but just know that this guy is an animal on the field. He will be beloved in his defense, and he could literally just inserting him in the defense could turn his defense into possibly a um, a five to ten ranked defense, It's a top five bona fide defense, and probably the best one of the if not yeah one of the best if not the best. In the NFC, so um, Zayvon Collins, welcome to DC, and I hope this happens in real life. Um, unless some quarterbacks fall, because man, he will get this thing going.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that, that's a great pick, and like you said, we we did talk about him at nineteen. I got the randomness of the draft, and a lot of these things do happen. At nineteen, I drafted tackle Rashawn Slater, mm-hmm. and I like I said in a previous podcast, I'm not big on this tackle class, but Rashad Slater is one of the best. Um, tackles in uh, in this class and for his value at 19 for him to be able to drop that far I, I had to pick him up because the biggest question for him is is he a tackle or is he a guard in this league if he could play tackle one year but then he's moving in to replace Brandon Sheriff at guard the next year it, it, it's a big hole. it fills a big hole and I'm totally down for that and he's supposed to be a projected top 10 to 15 guy he slid to 19 in this mock draft so if that's the case, I am totally fine with taking Rashad Slater um at nineteen. And I think Washington would be happy too if he if he was All to right. fall that far, <laughs> um, that far down to nineteen. Um, I want to pause there because like you said, we didn't talk, we didn't do any trade ups, we trade ups, we didn't do anything like that. I want to bring up the question on what has happened in the past week. We, when we talked about this, this report had just come out that afternoon, last week, Wednesday with um, Albert Breyer and Michael Lombardi. Albert Breyer saying Washington isn't moving up into the top 10. Lombardi saying that Washington wants to move up into um, a place where they can get Trey Lance. Mm -hmm. So now the conversation all week has been about is Trey Lance coming to D.C.? Um, Is Trey Lance or Justin Fields, if one of them falls, is Washington going to go up and get them? At what pick in the draft would you be comfortable trading up enough for to get a Trey Lance? Because personally for me, I'll just say 19 to 4, the amount of capital that we have to give up to get to 4, I'm not sure. Yeah, no. It's too high. But is there a pick, whether it be 10, 15, or 7? Like, is there a pick within that range where you're comfortable saying, okay, I'll trade with this team and I'll try to get up to pick a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields?
1: Yeah, so – There's actually two picks I'm kind of eyeing right now, and I think that both teams could be – well, one team kind of needs a quarterback in a way, in a roundabout kind of way, and one team could possibly do it um, just to kind of shake things up. And honestly, that's pick nine. I'm looking at the Broncos. I don't think it would take too much capital, but I'm also looking at pick 15. Um, Those two picks right there, man, because if you look from nine to 15 – Well, let's talk about eight, too. So eight was like, you know, the big kind of thing before the Sam Darnold trade happened. When Sam Darnold trade happened, okay, well, now the Panthers don't need to, you know, use their pick um, to take a quarterback. So then you bump down to pick nine with the Broncos. The Broncos, currently they have nothing. There's no true answer at quarterback unless you think Drew Locke, which I do subscribe to the Drew Locke hype still. I don't think he's the future quarterback for them. Um, That would be a different situation. He would have to do a lot to even prove himself to be an NFL starter again. Um, so I do think that you can make a move um, where it wouldn't necessarily give up the amount of capital that you would have to get get into the top five or even the top six or seven. I think nine is a safe enough pick where you feel like if Trey Lance is your guy, you go for it. But as I mentioned, when you look from pick nine to 15, who else is picking there? The Cowboys don't, don't need a quarterback. The Giants the 10, don't need a quarterback. 10, 11,
0: and 12, I don't think are they're not going to trade with us. Exactly, and that's... They're not going to try to get us our QB of of the future. Exactly, so that's out of the picture,
1: Like, and that's completely out of the picture. And all those teams, even if they were to do a trade for some strange reason, like that would be backwards, but they all have quarterbacks, in theory, set in place. So then you look at pick 13. Well, they have Justin Herbert, who was the best rookie quarterback that finished the season last year. You look at pick 14, they have Kirk Cousins, and they have a lot of money to pay Kirk Cousins. I don't think that they would... Man... Um, you know, draft their draft pick on a first-round pick, and then you look at pick 15, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> the, the Patriots are sitting right here with no trade-ups, with everything going for them with an amazing offseason, and they got Cam back on a cheap deal. I do think they're primed to take a, a Trey Lance, especially if they're going to go with this style where it looks like they're going back to the too tight, like that kind of offense two tight in kind of will want to control the ball and stuff like that because clearly they tried to do a little bit more stuff in the air and it didn't work. So if they do, you know, stay this route on offense and they try to build an offense that kind of fits the mold of a Cam Newton, then Trey Lance will be their guy. And I honestly would project that he will go there. Um, so I do think that the Washington football team, if you, you know, get past pick eight and you're just looking, you're like, okay. We could trade up to get the Broncos pick, or we could just wait. We could see what the Broncos do, and that's probably what they're probably going to do is see the safer route. If the Broncos decide to go elsewhere for whatever reason, because you never know in the draft, then you're looking at, you know, 13, 14, 15. You're like, all right, let's make a move there. So I think it's pick nine, pick 10, 11, and 12 is a no-go because it's all division picks, 13, 14, and 15. It's time to make something shake because if you let them get the 15, the Patriots are taking on.
0: Yeah, so you broke it down perfectly. Um so like I said, I'm not I'm not endorsing picking him uh, at 4. Uh whether it be fields or Lance. And I love them both, but <laughs> I just think that the capital needed yeah to, get to to get to that spot would be too much. So, like you said and you broke it down. 5 six and, 6 and 7 I also think would be relatively high. 8 could be the first option where I'm like, "Hmm, okay. I, mm. I could potentially go ahead and, and trade with the Panthers nine. Like you said, if the Broncos do not need it, 10, 11, and 12 aren't, they aren't messing with us. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to right. be, like, be like, yeah, we're not giving you your QB of the future. What I look at for me is if Justin Fields or Trey Lance is there at number 13 with the Chargers, mm-hmm. I know the Patriots are going to want to move up, but. The bad thing about being 19, but also the good thing is, you know you're going to have to offer more to get up right. to that spot. So if you say, okay, let's move from 13 to 19, I'll give you our first next year. Then you're thinking, okay, we can build something here with uh with Herbert, get another first round pick next year, and we're just dropping down a couple more spots. Or the Chargers could be like, okay, well we don't want to drop down that far. There's somebody that we really like here. Let's go ahead and let's get 15 with uh, the Patriots so we can pick up whether it be an extra, because two spots is, it's not a first round. Yeah. Like we're we're not trading first rounders for two spots. So it's like, okay, let's pick up this extra second rounder and let's be able to just build build up our team this year. So I like that number 13 or number 14 slot. Just try to make sure you're getting ahead of the Patriots. The Patriots, however, do have 10, 11, and 12 to work with. And that's the big thing because they can trade with anybody in the NFC East to try to get one of those quarterbacks out of this division. So it is going to be tricky and it's going to be tough just trying to see how exactly Washington can get into that QB market. But you never know. Draft day is crazy. We may just trade up to four. And, hey, if we get Justin Fields and Ron, I trust. If he's willing to give up that much and get up to four, hey, then so be it. Um, moving on from there, <clears throat> let's go to uh, rounds two and three, Micah. So give me your uh, – it's three picks, I believe, in rounds two, two and three. So give me your uh, three picks and the reasoning reasons why you picked those three guys. Awesome, man, awesome. So um, at 51, I am taking a quarterback.
1: And the quarterback that's left on the board at 51, at least in this mock, is Davis Mills from Stanford. Um, and now it's kind of like – well, why would you go get Davis Mills in the second round? He could possibly even drop. But part of me doesn't want to play with possibilities, and I think his draft stock has gone up enough where you see the viability of him being a Kirk Cousins-like starter in the league. Um, And now you you can even say that. You can uh, you know, counter that with, okay, Kirk Cousins was taken in the fourth round. If they realized what Kirk Cousins was going to become, I'm sure he would have been a second-round pick at worst. Yeah, he would have been a lot higher. So if you're projecting a guy like Davis Mills to be a Kirk Cousins-like starter, then you draft him in the second round to me. And I think that's a, a good security blanket for, let's say, you know, let's say he might end up being the guy that the future if he develops. Or let's say he's not even the guy of the future. Let's say he's a good enough starter to where you break even, where he is a top 15 guy. I think that's a win because you're going from, and we talked about this all offseason, the progression from having the worst quarterback room in the entire league where – Literally three starters – well, yeah, four starters couldn't, you know, make up a top 20 kind of offense passing. So where we're at with Fitz right now, we're literally at 20 probably. I would consider him, you know, the 20th quarterback out of 32. So where you can start creeping into the, the 16, 15, 14 range with the right guy, and I think Davis knows is the right guy for that. Um, At pick 74, I'm taking Jamar Johnson from Indiana – hybrid, combo safety, can do a little bit of everything. Um, If you look at the tape, he comes down, he hits. He does have some coverage ability. His height-weight scenario is probably more like a free safety. Um, But so is cam curls. And when you get into it, at least in this defense, you want guys that can play a little bit of both like a cam curl. And I think Jamar Johnson is the kind of mold that can do that. I mean, he's only 6'1", uh, 195. I presume in the league he's going to be playing around, around 205. But that doesn't limit his mobility. You don't end up in a situation where you're getting a glorified linebacker um, like a Landon Collins. He's going to be able to move. He's going to have some range. And I do think that um, he is a good pick for a position of need. We we need a deep guy. We need just safeties in general just because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if Cam's going to play free. We don't know if we're targeting a free. We don't know what's going to happen with Trey Boston. We just don't know. And when there's a don't know factor, you have to fill those needs before um, – you know, before it becomes a true need going into the season. So Jamar Johnson at seventy four, it makes perfect sense for me. And I'm um, at eighty two. I'm gonna take. I don't even want to say it's a risk because he's one of my favorite guys. On um, one of the group of my favorite guys to say um, coming out of this draft. And let's uh, take Gowan from UCF at eighty two. He's a cornerback. He's a six two guy. Um, ideally, you would want him to play on the outside. And with the signing of William Jackson, even if you started him day one, he will only be, he will be covering the Z receiver. So you wouldn't have to take your best receiver every single time. Um, and what it allows you to do is you get range and you know, height and length on the outsides with William Jackson and with um with Tay Gowan. And then you get to put Kendall Fuller back into his true. He just bumped top, Kendall down, yeah. which is where he played his best football when he was with the Washington football team, which they were the Redskins at the time. This is where he played his best. This is where PFF was calling him the best slot corner. And everything like that. And it still set still does do that. So I think that three um you know pick lineup is like a need, kind of all needs in a way. Um maybe soft needs at this point, but there's still needs. So um I would say that those three guys kind of fill in positions um and you make them better, it makes the team better.
0: With your with your picks, I went with Jabril, uh 51, 74, and 82. I have Jamar Johnson and Davis Mills. You explained Davis Mills um Davis smills is going to end up going in the first round i think six QBs yeah. are going to be taken in the first round and in this obviously he dropped to 82 his stock is rising really fast now mm-hmm. he's not going to be there at 82 but he was there so i decided to take him 74 we were both the same on jamar johnson jamar johnson um like you said combo guy can do a little bit of everything um if we are trying to find a free of the future he, he could be that if Again, when it comes to defense and defensive analysis, Ron Rivera and Jack Dorrell will get the job done. They know what type of guys fed into the system. They know what works for them. So I I do think that Jamar could could really work for them, and we could see him actually being on this team. And at 51, I took Jabril Cox. He was available, a um, uh, uh, linebacker at LSU, a guy that I actually think can be an anchor of a defense. I, I think he's been uh, – I'm surprised that he hasn't flown up charts a little bit more. I thought that um, after his pro day, after just watching his film more, I thought people were going to be a lot higher on him. And mm-hmm. there is – there has been where, okay, he could be he could be a second-rounder. He could be a late – like, he's been in that range where he's not that big of a prospect, but he is starting to climb. Coming out of North Dakota State and then going to LSU, it's like, okay, how will he translate to playing SEC football? he was pretty good <laughs> i mean he he was, he was pretty good um he was pretty good in everything that he's able to do there as a linebacker linebacker is something that we really need help at we we need we need somebody we need somebody that can help anchor this team we need somebody that is young that can help anchor this team let me say that because right. yeah there are guys that you can you can look at um in in free agency but then also you you want to be able to have everybody be on the same page where you're not having super old guys you're not having um you're not having super young guys like you want to have that good mix of guys and I don't want John bostic to be the only guy like to be the only <laughs> linebacker that we we can or John bostic can go home and be like oh those are our only guys going for it I really do believe in Jabro Cox I do think he has the ability um to be a top guy for us and um if he's available i i w- I would definitely draft him I, I do see us getting linebacker in I think we've touched on the most important so far with linebacker, uh, with cornerback, safety, linebacker, quarterback. These are all the things that, like you said, are soft needs um, where we could get by with, especially with um, safety and quarterback. But I do think linebacker is a necessary need and getting one early uh, in the draft for me was was um, very critical. Um, moving on from there, let's go to four through seven. Obviously, these are less known names and this was just more picking for based off the need and what we think. So quickly go through your um four through seven.
1: Yeah, man. So um <clears throat> my four through seven. So at one twenty four, we're going Jalen Darden, one of my personal favorite players in the entire draft. Um we we established the receiver need, but uh you can always get more playmakers and this guy was always. absolutely crazy. Um if yeah. Just check the tape. If you don't know who Jalen Darden is, um, he's like that. He, he is legit, and you know me with receivers. But um, at 163, we're going Deontay Smith. And actually, before this mock, you know, quickly, I just didn't know who Deontay Smith was. I mean, the name kind of rang off just because we've been looking at literally draft prospect names and just, like, trying to find out. And, um, you know, I looked him up. They saying he had a pretty good pro day. Um, He had all his snaps at left tackle, which is kind of a soft need, another one really. Um, And people have us taking, uh, you know, you you took Sean Slater. Like, we kind of need a tackle. So there's no reason why we wouldn't take a tackle, um, especially if you got senior bowl invites and things like that. At 244, um, (laughs) this is a a little bit kind of just like filling in uh, for kind of a possibility thing. But uh, I took Tough Borland from Ohio State at 244, a linebacker. He won't start. He probably won't start for a couple of years. But um, down the road, if you need a guy who's going to be tough in the middle, or this is a guy who's going to give effort. Tough Boylan is the guy. You can say anything else about Tough Boylan at Ohio State. He gave effort, and I appreciate that. And at 246, um, Zach McPherson, man, um, hometown guy um, from Maryland, went to Riverdale Baptist, um, some stops at Penn State and Texas Tech. Um, and as a 7th round pick, man, you're not expecting him to be a world beater. Um, but I do think that he could be a, a corner that could possibly rise up to whether it's camp or anything like that. Um, you know, think Jimmy Moreland's rise as just a guy who was like, nobody really heard about him. And then it's like, OK, he's here. He can make plays like that day one. Um, And, you know, that's kind of a practice squad scenario in a in a, in a depth scenario. But I do think he has a place in the NFL and I think why not bring him home? So, yeah, that's my that's my four through seven. And I I think they all establish um, even softer needs in a way besides really the tackle spot. But um, I do think they will be valuable players for the team.
0: With my four through seven, one twenty four, I went Jalen Darden, and that's just based off of Micah. M- Micah loves wide receiver. I watch almost every wide receiver that's coming out of this draft, and he brought him up. He brought him up a while ago about this could be yeah. a big steal in the draft. So that's that's why I picked him. He was there at one twenty four. I said, why not? One sixty three, I went Robert hangsey tackle out of Notre Dame. One thing that mm-hmm. they said about the, this draft is that it does. It may not have the top end talent, but it does have good. Um, good depth and I think that just having to be honest like just getting a Notre Dame or a Wisconsin tackle or guard late <laughs> late in the uh, draft I don't think you can really go wrong like it's just like somebody there for depth practice squad type of guy if he really ends up being one of those top guys then hey it works out for you if he doesn't then right. it it was one of those late picks but he he was really he was really not really good but he was he was good at um at um Notre Dame and Notre Dame is known for running the ball for being one of those top teams that are always able to produce offensive linemen getting that great coaching. And that's just a certain thing where it's like, okay, is it an Alabama? Is it an Ohio state? Is it a Notre Dame? Just the power power programs are able to bring players that can go ahead and translate to the NFL relatively well. So I said, I saw him there and I was like, why not? Uh, Why not? Let's take Robert. Um, 246, Nick Eubanks. This is somebody that I've actually watched. A decent amount because I do watch a lot of Big Ten football and he doesn't pop by any means, but he did make some plays um, at Michigan and tight end. Like you said, this is uh, so we cut Thaddeus Moss, and a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how Thaddeus Moss uh, fit into the picture, but then you see you watching the football sign Sammy Reyes, who looks the part, definitely 6'7, 240. Uh, ran a four six. Never played football before, but as part of this international program where he came from Chile, played basketball, and then switched over to football. Um, he had fifteen to twenty meetings with the NFL teams. Kansas City wanted him, and he signed with the Washington Football Team. So he, as a prospect, is very like, oh, okay, this could this could be a big deal. Like if fifteen to twenty teams want to interview for a job, you're right. definitely doing something right. So. Surprisingly, he said Washington was the number one destination. He got the call. He canceled all other meetings. But again, I'm excited for it. But he never has never played a snap in his life. Like exactly. That's another one thing we have to remember. He hasn't played a snap yet. So I want a guy that also we can use in uh, the pass game. So Eubanks played at Michigan. He wasn't the best of blockers. He's, he's a little bit on the smaller side, but as a third guy third down guy along with Logan Thomas it's a guy that can just help stretch the field a little bit more a red zone target I think I think it works out for him and I think why not again bottom of the draft this is where you're just taking flyers on guys that could potentially be good so that's what leads to my 246 where I went with Marce, uh Marcellini, Marcellino ball cornerback out of Indiana he's a um he's a guy where Indiana just had a good defense uh he had again these aren't guys that I broke down where I watched their complete game film. I watched highlights. And obviously highlights are very misleading because you don't see um every in and out of their game. But in right. his highlights, he was he was pretty impressive. And again, this is just another situation where this is a position of need. Um not a position I mean, not a position of need, but somebody that can be able to just help you in the long run. Where Jimmy Moreland, like you said, you didn't know what you were getting out of him, but he was able to go ahead and make some plays for you over the past couple of years. So it's just getting another one of those guys where it's like, Hey, if it works out for us, then sure. Let that be the case. If it doesn't, then you're not, you're not going to get um, much for him, but it was a, the last, your last pick in the seventh round. So who, who really cares about um, right. <laughs> what that means for in the long run? So that, that's what I went with my um, four through seven. So it should be interesting. There is, the thing about this is there is a lot of randomness in the draft and everybody's projecting so high that somebody is going to fall to 19. And whether that means it's a quarterback or one of the top tackles or one of the top receivers, you never know. But I'm excited to see. We we are about two weeks away. Next week we're going to do our last and final breakdown on what we want Washington to do in this draft and start from start from uh, where – where their top needs are and going through it all again because we are getting a lot closer um, to that draft time and then fully breaking down uh the guys in the draft because it, it is going to be an interesting couple of days for um the washington football team so i'm definitely excited for that i know everybody will be too um stay tuned also by next week we do have a big announcement that we're very excited to share it's going to change up the podcast the podcast is going to be Totally different in the next couple of weeks coming up, so we're excited to get that going and start that up. But for Mike and for Micah, we'll see you next week on District 1 Sports.